Hi, I'm Mia. And I'm Alex. And this is the Leftist Podcast. Alright guys, welcome back to the Leftist Podcast. Today we're actually going to be recording an episode that we already recorded, but our video got, our audio got corrupted, so you couldn't hear any of it. But it was a really good episode, and I'm very happy to be recording it again. And it's going to be featuring a little guest. We'll, we'll get to that in a second, though. <laughs> but we're basically just going to be talking about the opioid crisis and different ways that are used to combat the ongoing crisis. So, like, if you're not familiar with what the opioid crisis is, basically, what happened was, like, in the... In the 90s, our stuff was like really the presence of like big pharmaceutical companies pushing doctors to like give their patients who have like described as having generalized pain opiates or like hydrocodone or oxycontin to cure to cure their pain to help them not live in like insufferable like pain for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And in the 90s, all these pharma companies were telling everyone that they were not addictive these opiates, but now we know that's fucking yeah, not true at all. Yeah, they are very much addictive. Um, and they really like ravished, especially low income communities, mm-hmm. because then along with them being addictive, they're also extremely expensive and hard mm-hmm. to get, which made a lot of people turn to like black market drugs and things like that. Yeah, that's where you see the use of like different opiates like fentanyl and uh, heroin being used because it's way cheaper to buy that than to get pills. Like yeah. way fucking cheaper. And also now in this like realization era, I guess, people are prescribing it less. So it's hard to just get a f- prescription on like Oxycontin. Yeah. <laughs> like you're just kind of experiencing pain because like back in the day, doctors were like taught in med school to treat pain with like absolute scrutiny and like treat it to the highest level because you know, you don't want your patient to feel pain, right? And they were saying this was the best way to treat the pain. And it was just being like fucking prescribed to people like crazy. I think like, I think it's like a, it was prescribed enough in a certain year. I don't remember which year. So that like every single citizen in America could have like two bottles. Yeah. And like there was, I can't remember. I feel like it was in Kansas or something, but there was one. West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah. And they had ordered like extreme amounts of this and people were just getting like bottle after bottle of these um drugs uh because it wasn't being like managed of how much should go there like they were receiving more drugs than they had people in this like county or whatnot yeah and like the the idea of like medical literacy i guess comes into play too Mm -hmm. because you had patients being prescribed these this bottle of pills that said take every like four to six hours if needed. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people were like, it's prescribed to me, so I need it. So they would take it every four to six hours, even if they weren't feeling pain. Yeah. So they were like on a constant loop of opiates that just like fed to this cycle of addiction. And it just fucking, with the big pharma company saying it's not addictive and things like that. Yeah. And they were making hella money. And now we know this shit is super addictive and people are just hooked on opiates and that are way far more dangerous because they're not as pure as pills mm-hmm. like heroin and fentanyl are like far more I guess potent yeah and like not as pure because it's made on a fucking sh- like it's not made in like a lab or anything like that yeah and like further opiates just generally can like desensitize like your pain receptors so it, it could like have a long-term effect on you in a harmful way so I don't know, it's just kind of fucked up that, that yeah. all that shit happened. It's a very stark realization that 
money is more important than people in our society. Yeah, and that goes to show with one of the main players of the opioid epidemic, which was the Sackler family mm -hmm. who owned uh, Purdue Pharma, along with one other one, it was like Mundy Pharma or yeah. something like that. Um, and they were like one of like the main producers of Oxycontin at the time. And now when you see their name, they're on things like museums, like they own or they paid for something in like the Guggenheim yeah. and like all these different museums and also a lot of colleges and like medical centers will have like the Sackler Medical Center, like the Sackler Center of Pharmacology and stuff, which is like it's so insane. fucked up. Um, and this, it just shows that they are making all of this money by like ravaging communities with drug problems and then using this money to give their name a different light because when you think Sackler you think of art museums and like colleges and you know growing the minds of young, young brilliant <laughs> up-and-coming geniuses um and not like all the shit they did in the 90s to low-income communities yeah it's fucking that's crazy as shit. When the fucking mm -hmm. opiate, when the opiate market goes bad, fucking get into the art game. Like, oh God. God. Like, that'd be crazy as fuck. But, you know, I'm sure that some of you at least either know or have known someone who knows um, a family member or a friend who is addicted to opiates because it is, like, so sadly commonplace in our society mm -hmm. for people to go through that struggle with addiction. And... Usually, the normative idea of helping people is just kind of sending them off to like a rehabilitation center and like hoping and fucking praying that it just like cures them of this thing. Yeah. When like recidivation or recidivism rates are like super fucking high, and people mm -hmm. will people will just backtrack and use the opiates to none of their default because it's not like they can just stop. You know what I mean? They're, it's like something their body needs to function. Yeah. Their brain needs it. Because you get so accustomed yeah. to it, and then it's just like. I don't know, like, I take melatonin every night, like, because my body's accustomed to it, yeah. I want my little strawberry gummy before I go to bed, and then I, I fall asleep, and, yeah. like, that's just how, like, bodies, it's like a cycle. exactly, and, like, bodies adapt to what you're putting in them, um, so that's why things like rehabilitation or, uh, like, putting people on, like, involuntary hold, like, doesn't really work. No, it doesn't, especially if their heart and soul is not in wanting to stop using opiates because more likely than not the opiates have like almost like i don't want to say like taken over but like mm -hmm. they're like controlling their decision making process when using that specific type of drug because they like we said they basically fucking need it yeah you know, to like function and live but you know i just think that the the correct solution i guess to this would be to kind of just limit the amount of deaths that are just occurring generally and then we can get to solving the idea of addiction in the first place rather than just trying to combat addiction and have like no i guess remorse for any deaths or whatever may yeah. happen because a lot of people just are like oh they're they're an addict they're whatever they're they're never going to get better yeah a lot of family members especially and they hate their family members because of it when realistically it's not their fault it's called an addiction for a reason you know what i mean like it's something they can't control yeah basically. So there's there's kind of some new new ways of battling addiction, and one of those is harm reduction, and mainly it just kind of just like the name says, it reduces the amount of harm done on the individuals who use these types of drugs or other types of drugs or realistically anything that could be addictive. So uh, we're gonna bring our guest out. Uh, please everyone, oh, please everyone welcome Rachel. Rachel! 
Glad to have you back again. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. So, Rachel, if you don't know, is going to be a social worker one day. Yes. And they're very knowledgeable on this kind of stuff. So, I think I want you to just kind of describe to us what exactly harm reduction is and what the goal is. Because I did it in a very simplistic way. So, harm reduction basically is this model of practice that aims to well let's start with the the best way to explain it is to compare it to what's currently happening yeah. so currently what's going on in, a, in the majority of the united states and in most places everywhere is this abstinence-based approach to like helping people with substance use disorders and it's like cutting cold turkey mm -hmm. doing this and this isn't really working there's not like long-term effects so harm reduction aims to help people by supplying them things like Narcan, safe needles, um, safe supply sites, even like providing people drugs to use that are safe. Mm -hmm. um, harm reduction's goal is to stop people from dying from drugs. So when you see a lot of like the legislature that is being made and the policies that are being pushed, it's because they want people to just stop using drugs because yeah. like maybe it's a bad look, doesn't provide for great workers, mm -hmm. and but you're not getting long-term results from people right. and people are continuing to die and it's because the goal of the legislature isn't to stop deaths it's to just like the government and the people making the policies are like drugs are bad people who use drugs are trash they're awful fucking people let's get them to stop but it doesn't work yeah. so mm -hmm. harm reduction is kind of like almost like an empathetic approach to things mm -hmm. um to stop deaths yes that's fire. That's fire. I don't know how simple that was. <laughs> no, that was no, that was good. That was good. I definitely agree. Like the most stark difference is like you said, like it's not just some stupid things like for optics or anything. It's mm -hmm. actually to help people from dying. Because whether regardless of what you think of drugs or people who use drugs or not, like people are dying from this, mm -hmm. like on a at a pretty steady rate. And the shit yeah, that's it's happening. Going up. Yeah. 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 And the shit that's happening now is not working. So Realistically, people want to find solutions to kind of solve that problem, and no one is saying that harm reduction is the ultimate solution, but is the solution to stop people from dying as rapidly as yes. people are currently. So, uh, can you give us like an example of like I know you were talking about some some place in Vancouver. Yes. Can you give us the example of like I guess that would be like the most I don't want to say extreme, but like the most like progressive. It's form the most, of harm reduction. So what's going on in Vancouver is um, Vancouver and I guess some other parts of Canada, but what's really happening right in the center of Vancouver is um, this safe supply program. And for about 15 years now, they've had a safe supply program for heroin where they provide um, people who are using drugs with safe heroin so that they aren't taking drugs that are like laced with fentanyl. Um, and they've recently started doing this. Um, Dr. Christy Sutherland uh, runs the um, Safe Supply site for fentanyl, and they're giving people fentanyl on uh, the street who come in who are using these drugs that aren't safe um, and supplying them to them. And it also provides them with a safe place to use. So say like an overdose does happen on site, which there have been pretty much none there because they're giving people safe drugs to use, mm -hmm. but 
when there is, there are other harm reduction supplies like Narcan and things. So like if someone does happen to overdose or someone walks in overdosing, they can immediately reverse it. Like there have been no reported deaths there. Yeah. Um, and it is, people are a little standoffish when it's like, well, we're giving people fentanyl and everyone's like, well, fentanyl will kill you. Mm -hmm. And that is true. But what's happening is people are going out onto the streets and their drugs have fentanyl on them because fentanyl contamination is everywhere happening for a plethora of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also just very easy to occur. Mm -hmm. Um, and so People are like, okay, well, we really shouldn't be giving people drugs because we want them, want them to stop. But the whole thing, and I've said this a million times, and it's the easiest way to kind of like, I don't want to say like dumb down this idea, but like everyone, not everyone, some people really want people to stop using drugs and to get clean and to get sober, right? So they're like, okay, do the abstinence-based approach, do the 12-step program, but there's no long-term results, so you're going to have people dying. And with harm reduction... Obviously, people aren't stopping the use of drugs right away, but you can't get sober if you're dead. No, right? exactly. So, like, allowing people to safely do this increases their quality of life exponentially. Oh, yeah. It gives them some sort of routine to fall mm -hmm. into almost. Even if you think that's a dangerous routine to fall mm -hmm. into, it's something that's keeping them alive at least. Yes. And, like, I think the, the really important thing is when you, like, backdrop on saying, like, all people, whatever, mm -hmm. because... When you think about harm reduction, it really is like kind of a, it's honestly really like an encompassing thing because mm -hmm. all these people have like one thing in common, they they all use drugs, mm -hmm. right? And these drugs are being supplied in safe doses, pure drugs, they're not laced with anything, mm -hmm. less likely to OD. If they do, then they're in a safe place with medical professionals who can save them from that. But like, like abstinence programs and stuff, like is it gonna work for everyone? Some people it might work for everyone, for some for some of them, but like everyone is not gonna like work with that and use that, and it's not gonna help them. A lot of these people, every every individual has separate problems, separate things that lead to them to use drugs in the first place. So I just don't understand why we're taking like a I guess like a therapeutic approach with like an abstinence type thing that only works for a small amount of people and applying it to everyone when every single person in the world is different. Mm -hmm. yes. And like, like, why don't we, like you said, keep everyone from dying first and then have them combat their own problems and solve their own problems to get them from stop using drugs if that's ultimately what they want to get to yes. and when they want to get to on their own time rather than pushing them to this program that doesn't really fit their needs that need mm -hmm. to be met. Well, exactly. And it's harm reduction. Like, it's in the name. Like, you mm -hmm. are reducing harm first, right? Um... If you have this, one of the biggest things that this clinic in Vancouver is aiming to do is to stop um, people who use drugs from having this feeling and this fear of becoming dope sick mm -hmm. and like detoxing and because you feel like crap, you get incredibly sick. Um, and so people who are using street drugs or getting their drugs from other places are constantly like, where am I getting my next hit? Where mm -hmm. am I getting my next drugs? And they don't have any time to like, think about anything else in their lives. Yeah. So by going to these clinics, um, they are able to be like, I know that I'm going to be able to get a safe dose here. I'm going to be able to use maybe at this time, like have a scheduled thing. And they can start thinking about things like their family and housing and mm -hmm. working. And it just like literally expands their life and the quality of their life exponentially. Mm -hmm. And the thing about this clinic is that I think a lot of people just think that people are walking in and they're like, here's 
however much fentanyl you want. Like, yeah. just take it. But that's not what's happening. Like, Christy Sutherland, who runs the clinic, is a family medicine doctor, but she also um, went back to school and studied, um, like, addiction counseling and, like, things like, um, and, um, like, the biology of addiction, okay. right? And so she has background knowledge in this. And when a new client comes in, they do like a full health workup, they do a full physical blood work panel, all of it. And then she has a discussion with these clients and is like, how much are you using now? How do you feel? How much do we need to prescribe you? And how much can we prescribe you safely? Mm -hmm. um, and it's very client centered. And a lot of these abstinence programs is like, you mentioned um, almost like this therapeutic approach to them, but quite honestly, a lot of the abstinence-based programs um, because of the way that like um, addiction is kind of treated in the country is involuntary especially if like it's court mandated mm -hmm. with like a lot of people who like maybe go to jail or prison for drug charges have to go to a certain amount of um, rehab afterwards or some sort of probation and these programs just don't you're not seeing these results and you're seeing recidivism rates so you're seeing these people go to jail or prison, go to rehab, back in jail and prison, back to rehab. And it's just this like Sorry, circle. This, yeah. Interesting. So I want to know if you kind of a little bit what we talked about in our opinions episode, if you obviously harm reduction, like the thing that's going on in Vancouver right now, that's not something we're going to see in America anytime soon to that rate. But what do you think would be a good first step to move towards that? Like, what do you think would be a good policy? Mm -hmm to help move towards harm reduction? I definitely think that um, recently within the past year, Narcan was legalized to be carried in the state of Florida. There are definitely other states that allow that. I can't tell you how many of them. Yeah. Um, but fentanyl test strips actually aren't legal in the state of Florida and they are considered drug paraphernalia and so you can't have them, which I personally think is ridiculous because you can buy like a general drug panel like at any store mm -hmm. yeah, you can get them at like target um like, no, no really like um you can get them anywhere and they're pretty affordable um but fentanyl test strips are illegal even though they aren't drugs but they're being used to test drugs um yeah and so i think really the first step that needs to happen and i think it will within the next year or two i think it will happen for florida but right now that's not happening and it's not like that uh or it's like that in a lot of places yeah. where even these simple things kind of like narcan and you are seeing first responders carry narcan now and that's important um and you are able to get it at i think there's a police station in hillsborough county um and there are certain places you can get it but i think the expansion of these like smaller harm reduction resources and the education of it is like really really important mm -hmm. and i think education has to be the first step because i don't think there can be empathy without education yeah yeah i agree i think that's the first step for a lot of issues like i think that's like a pretty like broad thing that you can attach to anything because like you can't really move forward with something without being properly mm -hmm. educated on it and how it will affect people and like the you know what i mean like when a policy is enacted like you have to think about how it's going to affect everyone around it and like you can't predict that without proper education on the topic or the demographic. I think another thing too is like changing the national like idea of mm -hmm. of like people who use drugs because I, I'd say this a lot like it's like the president is like the spokesperson for the like national 
image, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They set like the boundaries of what's okay to say and what's not okay to say. Even if you don't think they're doing it, they're doing it. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? They have a lot of sway and that's one of their biggest roles, right? So look at like when Nixon was president, Nixon started the war on drugs and it was a war on drugs and people who use drugs and keeping, those yeah. at, keeping yeah. them out of our community. Look at Reagan who pop, propped that up and just kept it going. Mm -hmm. And then just kind of kept going, kept going. And then millions of mm -hmm. people got locked into jail and were stuck in this cycle of addiction mm -hmm. like you were talking about earlier, mainly minority men. And I think it would be really nice to have a president who comes out and says this harm reduction stuff is like kind of fire. It's dope, like, yeah. It's like really, it's like very cool and it's like helping a lot, especially with like the little shit. Like you can't even test your drugs like legally. Like mm -hmm. you have to go and buy fucking, get a paraphernalia chart for making sure you don't overdose. Like that's not helping anyone. Like yeah. that's helping zero people. Like the idea of like just pushing away like people who use drugs as like a separate like lower caste in society is like so fucking contrived and like so stupid like it does not helping anyone it's helping you like not see like the like the horrors that could come with with someone who may be addicted but also like many of us know people firsthand in our lives that have this you know what i mean like mm -hmm. you you see it anyway so why can't we help those people have a little be, bit of empathy towards them rather than just like fucking pushing them to the side and like letting them live in squalor and like be homeless mm -hmm. and OD eventually and then they die and then that's less of a problem for the government inevitably so it's just kind of like stupid why stuff like that happens and like I don't know this whole demonization of people drugs and people who use drugs like obviously you shouldn't use drugs because they are something that you can get addicted to and can be deadly but like if you're using them and you've been using them for like four years let's say the odds of you going through a fucking 12-week rehab and coming out of it like clean and clean for the rest of your life are very unlikely yeah it's just that i think people mistake when people are using drugs as this like personal failure because it's not in social work we talk about um individual failure and we talk about um kind of like systemic and institutional failures mm -hmm. and people see drug use and people who use drugs as having individually failed themselves because like you chose to use drugs and you chose to do this and like you knew this could happen um but that's not necessarily true first of all yeah. because there's not education on it there is um we were having a discussion about how um when opioids are uh prescribed to people like it says take every four to six hours yeah. so instead of just taking it as needed people are taking these every four to six yeah, hours exactly. and they are building this dependence and the whole like health obviously you guys have done two episodes on healthcare. I don't need to get into that. But like yeah. it's like but it's just like there's not this education of it mm -hmm. and it is also there are not systems in place to provide for people who are using drugs and so many of the individuals and family members of individuals who use drugs are kind of in this mindset of like, I can't believe you would do this, like you've ruined your life, you've ruined our life, but it's it's not like that. Like, that's not what happens. When someone starts using drugs, they can't just stop. It's it's incredibly difficult. It is physically and emotionally painful. And it's, I don't know, it's not an individual failure. Like, this is a capitalist issue. Like, this is, like, something that, like, capitalism is just, like, fueling and fueling because, like, it is the individual's fault, right? Like, yeah. that's what it's yeah. supposed to be, right? Um, and why would we ever blame the government for anything, Yeah. Right? No, I, like, I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Or, like, big corporations. Yeah. Right? No, exactly. Yeah. Like, no one was going to come after Purdue. Yeah, yeah. like, no why would it, yeah, is them. it Big Pharma? I don't know, Big Pharma, maybe? Yeah. The people who said that they weren't addictive, like, in many commercials in the 90s, and, like, that's a thing, like, 
I'll let you say what you wanted to say after, but yeah. um, like like you said, like it's so crazy. Like it's not even their fault. Like even if someone uses drugs and they weren't addicted in the first place and they just like try heroin, like they probably had other confounding variables that went into that decision that affected their lives that weren't necessarily, necessarily their fault and they might have gotten stuck in this cycle of addiction. I'm not blaming anyone for turning mm -hmm. to drugs in the first place, but like, especially for people who were prescribed like Oxycontin and like just use it like it was like not addictive because that's what they were told mm -hmm. by their fucking doctors who like went to medical school and stuff and just became addicted through no volition of their own. Like, it's crazy to me that mm -hmm. we just like fucking let that slide. Like, yeah. it's just crazy. No, literally. Um, but to go back to your point, what um, I was going to say is... What was your point? Sorry. I was talking about how it, like, the Oh, it's the individual's fault. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so going back... I'm going to cut that off. Yeah. <laughs> so, going back to your point on how it's the individual's fault, I think that kind of just shows how important education is. And on top of that, how important, like, semantics are when talking about problems mm -hmm. like this. And that goes for anything. Like, I remember... One year I wrote like this whole paper on like semantics within like conversion therapy and how we shouldn't call it like, oh, like faith led this or whatever. Cause like we shouldn't use all these things that make it sound like this positive like growth, yeah. like faith led growth, like all these things. Like it's like, you're trying to like change someone yeah. through like fucking scare tactics. I think it's the same thing, like using drug use or drug misuse instead of drug abuse or drug abuser mm -hmm. and like stuff like that it's just changing like such a it's the same number of syllables it's just such a small change yeah. that will just like change the like i don't know just like the tone of the conversation and like how it's going because like it just makes it so much more positive and like makes yeah. it not seem like it's their fault like it's not on one person because they did drugs yeah like, it's yeah. this it's this whole system like yeah it's a it's a communication tactic it is a a journalism strategy mm -hmm. it is um a way for people to get whatever point across that they would like to get across right yeah and even the dsm-5 um, doesn't use abuse anymore mm -hmm. um, for um, substance use. It's substance use or misuse disorder. Um, and it's really not even because of a stigma type thing that they got rid of it. They got rid of it because people were um, associating it with like domestic violence and like domestic oh, okay. abuse. And so they changed it. But like it's so interesting how like, yeah, maybe some people who are in like domestic violence situations are using drugs, but like that's not necessarily true. Yeah, no. like they're like, mutually exclusive. Yeah, right? like they can have it, and it's just so interesting how something that like when I heard that I was like, that's so weird. I would have never thought that, but like people just like hear these terms, especially like I'm in this. I'm like I'm going into this mental health field, so like I'm like I don't know, like I'm around this stuff, and I'm like, God, that's so ridiculous. But like the average Joe. Like, yeah, like, it's just not gonna, like, about. they're yeah. gonna be like, oh, wow, I never thought of it like that. Or, like, even using words like addict and, like, addiction is, like, kind of iffy. Like, we should really try and use, like, people who use drugs, people who use substances. Um, like, person first language? Kind of, yeah, yeah, definitely, like, person first language. And, like, it's just because, like, words like addiction and abuse have such a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't do anything. It's like saying... Um, pro-life versus anti-choice yeah right the biggest the starkest thing and because you got to forget you guys are forgetting guys the american people are sheep we just yeah. we, eat little, we eat the little slop that's fed to us no, and like really. the biggest the most stark thing that changes this if you ask some fucking random ass like 80 year old republican 
how they feel about the Affordable Care Act and how they feel about Obamacare. They'll give you two fucking separate oh, answers. Exactly. Yeah. It's different things. You know, no, the exact same thing. Like, like wording is everything. Yeah. Like, it's everything. And, like, I don't, it's like, and you're, you're grown up for one day to do this. Like, I know that it's not, a, like, the best way to use a drug addict or addiction mm -hmm. or whatever. But, like, it's just how I think about it and how my brain conceptualizes, mm -hmm. like, because, like, in my eyes, I see it as if you're addicted to something, you can't help it. Like, you mm -hmm. need it to use. And I understand it has a negative connotation to it, but, like, that's just my brain and how I've conceptualized it from the day I was born, you know? Mm -hmm. Even if I use, I, I, like, I don't really use the word abuse or drug abuse mm -hmm. anymore because, like, they're not, that's, like, mm -hmm. that makes it more first person. Mm -hmm. I feel like addiction or using terms like misuse mm -hmm. makes it like third person like it's like yes. something an, an externality is causing this yeah and i think it's interesting too because really i was doing some research on the terminology and especially like specifically for words like addict and addiction um because those are that's still in a lot of literature and yeah. i don't think those words are necessarily i think really what they're we're just getting, not the best we really need to be getting away from abuse yeah. um but it's interesting because uh, addict and addiction are used in a lot of 12-step programs um, and you've even, and you've seen this in all the TV shows and it's stuff and it's like, hi, I'm blank Blake and I'm an alcoholic. I am an addict. Yeah. I am like, you know, um, Please God grant me the serenity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> serenity prayer. Yeah. So like, um, but you see these things and it's these people being like, I am this. And it's like, you're not like just an addict yeah. and going back to what we're really talking about harm reduction is like the minute we separate the person mm -hmm. from like this one thing about their life and we give them opportunities to separate that thing we're allowing them to become more than just like their like substance use disorder yeah. or their problems and they are able to like grow and thrive and probably work which i'm everyone i'm sure would like yeah, yeah uh, whatever like it's like oh i'm fucking i'm al mr squad swag i'm a construction so... i'm a construction worker and I'm also, I'm also trying to help myself by not being addicted to this drug anymore, mm -hmm. or trying to like, like being medically treated for this. Because like, I feel like people, like you said, like people just think they walk in and they just give them fucking drugs. Like, no, it's not like a, it's not even like a dispensary or something like that. It is like a medical facility. You go there, you take the drugs there, mm -hmm. and they they advise or they they look after you and stuff. And they're there the entire time. So if anything goes wrong, it's like a hospital, basically. Yeah. If anything goes wrong, they're there to help you with it. And it's just like, it just makes, it just makes sense. It doesn't all of it, right? Like, it just like, all makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Like, it's just like, you want people to stop dying? Okay. But from drug, from drug use? Okay. Have them do it in a safe place with medical professionals to tend to them if they need to. It's, yeah. I mean, like, it just like makes it, it's sense. It's, like, right there in front of you. Like, it just seems so obvious. It's just so interesting because the social work framework is based around, like, evidence-based practice. Mm -hmm. And we are not supposed to do anything. Like, it is against our code of ethics to do anything not from an evidence-based practice mm -hmm. standpoint. Because then we're treating someone and we're like... Well, I don't know. Like, I think if you just drink more water, it works. But, like, if I'm looking up, like, someone with, like, a severe, like, opioid use disorder, mm -hmm. and I'm like, well, I feel like water would help them. Like, that would be fucked up. I would literally get my license yeah. taken away from me. Like, I would That's not be able to do that because, like, we are, it's um, research-informed practice and practice-informed research. And it is just, like, when you look at the research and you do that, you see these positive results and you 
see like there are studies upon studies of involuntary treatment of like 12-step programs or even things like the florida marchman act which is just like a 72-hour hold where you are sober for 72 hours and then they fucking kick you out like and they're like good fucking luck yeah yeah you have like the fucking flu and shit yeah like, basically yeah. um and you're sleeping on like a fucking cot and like yeah, then they're like they're like okay well it's been 72 hours so like go fuck yourself yeah like, you're I don't, clean like, now congrats yeah yay no go back on no. the fucking street like what like it just like and then it doesn't work like just thinking about it it doesn't work it, it really doesn't it's just so like uh, it's just so fucked up because what is the benefit i just don't understand the benefit at this point like they made all their fucking money the pharmaceutical companies whatever like what is their benefit from not helping these people from not making people better and more able to work and more able to provide for society it just like seems like it just is a waste of time to them like it's not worth their time to help people yeah. who have this horrific ailment that they can't help at all like i said it's an externality people just stop thinking about it like it's they made the decision to do that. They might have made the decision to do it, but they didn't make the fucking decision to be addicted to it for the rest of their fucking lives. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it, they they didn't make that conscious decision. Like, I guarantee you, no person that's ever used heroin or something made the decision and was of the right mind to be like, I will be addicted to this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like, I will be using for the rest of my life. Like, it's just, it's so ridiculous that people think that they would make that decision knowingly yeah it's crazy like you think people are really that fucking stupid like yeah. what the fuck it's it's insane the system's just so fucking broken no right. yes all of it pretty yeah. Much, yeah everything is broken yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty much the mm. like a summation of all of our episodes <laughs> Every, everything is broken yeah for real yeah i don't know it would just be like so nice to see people actually care about it? people who use drugs it would be nice. because yeah. they're they're everyone's a human being everyone makes mistakes mm -hmm. some mistakes just aren't as pretty as others you know what i mean mm -hmm. some of them are harder on people than others you know mm -hmm. so some people don't have enough money to cover them up as others you know so mm -hmm. it's like For, <laughs> mistakes yeah. happen everyone's every single fucking human has made a mistake mm -hmm. like the severity is different but i don't know it's just important to see people who use drugs as human beings that deserve help and deserve our attention and you know, would greatly benefit and provide for our economy if we mm -hmm. do help them. So I think that's the that's the end goal yeah. of what I think harm reduction is, providing society with people who can function rather than people who are just like stuck being homeless and trying to get their next fix and things yeah. like that. Like or fucking just, dead. Yeah, literally. Think, yeah. And it is just, I think a study from the, um, from a substance, it's like the Substance Abuse and Mental Health like Coalition. AMSA or, like, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, same. Um, yeah. And they, um, I think it was reported in 2021 that there were like approximately like well over 2 million people in the United States alone like with a substance use. That's crazy. Or like, like not maybe a, like a prescribed substance use disorder, but like using substances. Yeah. yeah. Um, probably more than they would like to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it just impacts every area of your life. And I think kind of along with education and the spread of maybe more minor harm reduction things, we really just need to reframe the fucking way we look at people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you were saying, because until we realize that these are just like people, because I think it's interesting because with a lot of like, um, trauma-based things you think that 
people can't have empathy until they've experienced something like that or like experienced a loved one with something like that. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to drug use, it's actually really interesting because we don't really see that with family members. We see a lot of like guilt and blame because of this individual like blame we are supposed to put on them. And that's just not how it is. So it's really difficult because you're even having family members being like, this is your fucking fault. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and so we just, education, 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 all of it. I think that's the real takeaway from this. Yeah. Yeah. Change, change of the frame framing of what it is to be someone who uses drugs and not someone who is like a fucking demon like an actual yeah. human being that deserves our help it's like, just so interesting too because the majority of people um who um use drugs hide their drug use like mm-hmm. from people like many people don't know that the people that they love are using drugs because it is seen as shameful mm-hmm. um so a lot of the times like someone could die and you could have no idea that that had even been going on um so a lot of the times like i don't know it also doesn't have a look right yeah so it is like obviously like when people think of people who use drugs you think of the tv and you think of the movies and you think of the super frail people Mm -hmm. um and they look super disheveled which i mean some people right Mm -hmm. but definitely not all people yeah especially when you're talking about people who are going and get getting addicted to opioids and who are like going to doctors and doctors are expensive especially and opioids are expensive and so it's a whole thing Whole thing. Whole, whole thing. Whole thing. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I I think that's a good good place to end. It. You have anything else to say or no? No, I think I'm all good. I I think oh. we both want to thank Rachel. Yes, for thank you, Rachel. Thank you. You did an amazing job. Thank, thank you for helping us understand what harm reduction is and understand how it can benefit our society and like the strides that that's coming with Vancouver. Maybe eventually we'll be getting more evidence-based out of there. We'll do another follow-up, little follow-up yeah. clip and just yeah. talk about how well they're doing or what's going on and stuff like that. But So if you guys aren't aware, like this podcast, Spotify. Oh, Google Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. YouTube. In video format. Uh, we're on there every Monday and Friday. Yeah. We're also on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Shoot us a fucking us an email. email. Let this pod at Gmail. And I think that's it. I thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed. And I'm Alex. And I'm Mia. I'm Rachel. And this has been the Leftist Podcast. Woo! Woo!